Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. This year, as many of you, all of us have heard, is the year of our priestly consecrations. In other words, this is the year we're really going to define priesthood and its functions. So some of or many of the messages I'm going to be preaching are going to be centering around the consecration of your place of priesthood. The Bible says in Revelations that we have been made kings and priests unto the Most High God. It's an easy thing or easier thing to define what a king is and what they can do because of the dominion that they carry and the authority by which they exercise you know, themselves. But it's quite harder to define priesthood in our dispensation because we also live in a generation where many have used the gospel only for their own gain and so they only paint uh, to the power that we exercise ourselves in which is okay but they don't understand the responsibility of priesthood and the Bible says we are kings and priests hallelujah so today I want to share a very pertinent responsibility of every person who I know should stand in the place of prayer and intercession and have power with God. The Bible says now that you have fought, the Bible says, and one, he says now I have given you favor with God. You have been given favor with God and with man. You have power with God and power with man. I think that was told uh, Jacob. We want to understand how a man has power with God. How does a man have power with God? Because when you have power with God, the Bible says you have power with men. Right? Genesis 32, 28. He says, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, he says, you shall have power with God and with man because he had prevailed. Remember when he wrestled with the man the whole night? He had prevailed. But the Bible says he's a prince. He is a prince. In Psalms 103, a very famous scripture, I think, will bless you so immensely this evening. Verses 7. This is the testimony that God made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. I'll read that again. God made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. This is something we say quite often and today I want to take some time to help us understand or if you want to write a title to this, someone you could call it understanding the ways of God. Let me begin with marriage. 
Can you have a successful marriage, for example, if you don't know the ways of your partner? Answer me. No. Can you have an effective career at your workplace if you don't know the ways of your boss? Can you be at peace with your parents in the same household when you don't know the ways of your father, the ways of your mother? Those of you who had opportunities to be raised in homes where your father and mother lived with you, for those days, somebody would want to get something from a father, for example, and a mother would warn us and say, this is not the right time to get it. <laughs> He's not in the right moods now, wait. Why? Because she knows his ways. We studied him too. We studied our parents. You study your friends. If you are not a, the kind of person who takes the time to study the people you're in relationship with, that spells a lot of how absent you are emotionally. You must study someone and know, when should I have such a conversation with my wife? When should I have such a conversation with my husband? When should I sit this child down? When should I talk to this person? Because you have taken time to study the ways of an individual such that you can get their best or give them your best. Are you following? Now, the Bible speaks of Moses as a very unique man. We see that in the time when he is opposed by his brother Aaron and sister Miriam for having married a Cushite wife. And God then openly declares to Aaron and Miriam that when I speak to prophets, I speak to them in visions and in dreams. But it's, that's not how so I speak to my servant Moses. I have a very special relationship with this man. When I speak to him, I speak to him face to face, even apparently and not in dark speeches. The very similitude of the Lord Moses beheld. So we saw in this text that even the way God speaks to people is different or it varies according to their relationship or revelation of this person. Moses was a friend of the Almighty God. He had a deep relationship with God. So yes, God spoke to Aaron. Yes, God spoke to Miriam. But the way he spoke to Moses was different. When I read that, I admired that. It caught me in such a unique way. You know, the impressions of scripture sometimes could come in the understanding of your mind and only in the interpretation of how far you could think. And those imaginations are great because the law of God is served with our mind. There comes a time where these impressions go deeper into your spirit to give you an interpretation, an articulation, to give in a language that even your mind could not speak, has no power to put into words. Paul says, I know of a man who was taken to the third dimension of the spirit and he saw things which were not lawful to utter. There are things that the spirit man can receive of God and you lose the language to even express or explain them. This is one of those scriptures that captured me in such a way 
went beyond what my mind could meditate and articulate and went in the inside of my spirit and had such a great explosion and gave me such an understanding, starting me a hunger and a thirst of the things of God that I can never explain as though deep was calling unto deep. Certain things can never appeal to your spirit. It doesn't matter how beautiful they are in God until you are in a way connected in understanding, in a way connected in assignment, in a way connected in vision. There are things we sometimes want everyone to know the way we know them or even better than we know them. But it comes to you later as a man of God to appreciate that not everybody will ever understand things to the weight of your conviction. And that's the patience with people to wait for them. Perhaps as they continue this journey of hearing, that spark will take place in their heart and convict, convince, invite them. Certain things can only invite you by a godly feeling. Godly feeling. The book of Acts speaks of feeling after him. God has designed our souls to connect to some feeling of sort. Because those are the invitations that cause us, that persuade us to yield deeper in the things of God without being pushed, without being manipulated, without being forced into by circumstances or even threatened into that place. The man of fellowship said, one thing that I long for, one thing that I yearn for, is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This was not just a wishful thinking. This was of a man who had been invited into a certain vision. He glimpsed into a certain thing. And from then on, he found himself only yearning to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And the Bible says, beholding the beauty of the Lord and inquiring in his temple. When we talk about the beauty of the Lord, what do you think it means? Some of you think, oh, how beautiful is God? In how many stones is he arrayed? What are the distinctions of lights around this God? Because you only understand beauty by your physical eye. The deeper you're consecrated in God, you come to the understanding that that beauty is spelled in the revelation of his holiness. You learn to understand why holiness is not just a duty, it's a beauty. It's something beautiful to behold. It's something I believe every man with a spiritual eye should see. Not the holiness that you can earn, especially for those of you who might not be able to tell the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This new man that you carry in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, has been begotten in true holiness. True holiness. It's not out of his own righteousness that he carries this holiness. But it's out of the righteousness of God that has been imputed on that man through faith. Ephesians 4.24 says that you have put on the new man 
which after God, he says, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Holiness and righteousness for the new creature is an experience that you receive by reason of your faith in Christ Jesus. And then the seal of righteousness, the seal of the true holiness that you carry in God starts to express itself in your life by right living. Are you following what I'm saying? You get it first as a clock and then it expresses itself through you by right living. Such that whatever is holy or new is not in your own works, but it's in the finished work of Christ at the cross at Calvary. If you've understood that, say amen. Are you learning something? So, I'm carried to feel the, and see the things I must see in this man whom God spoke differently to. And then I discovered Everybody who's going to be used mightily by God, you must hear him distinctly. You must hear him way deeper and in such a more unique way than the person seated next to you. That's the thing that separates us. That's the thing that separates the chosen from the cold. They hear God differently. That is why Christians can sit and start arguing over the same issue about God. We start finding each other over doctrine. And somebody hears another man and say, no, I don't believe in what this fellow is teaching. Whatever he's teaching is false. But they cannot substantiate it, justify their argument through scripture. And when you get into scripture, you realize they don't even know what they say. The Bible says they desire to be teachers of the law not knowing what they say, nor from where they are from. They don't even understand that it's beyond simply the ability to identify a text, but to carry the affirmation of that text. The affirmation. You see what Luke is telling Theophilus? That when I understood these things, in their very order, I chose to write to thee, O excellent Theophilus, that thou mightst know the certainty of things wherein you've been instructed. That word there, certainty, is the affirmation of things. Everybody can say Jesus heals, but how many people really know what that means? Somebody can say, I'm more than a conqueror, but what, what does that really mean? The affirmation. The certainty to know that you know, not because your mind can repeat it or because you know how to quote it out of the Bible, but because you carry the experience, you have the vision of the spirit and the reality is with you. This is the thing that gives the Christian confidence. But I say such confidence have we towards him. Such confidence. It tells you that this must work. And you can believe in your spirit that it will work. You know that you know that you know it must align itself to your declaration. Because you carry the affirmation of things. This is not something you wake up out of the blue and simply create. Because the creative faculty, a fourth dimensional experience in revelational insight, if you don't understand what I'm saying, don't worry, your spirit does. 
a fourth dimension experience in revelational insight. When you get into the fourth dimension of revelation, you find that it's very possible to create the impossible. God has made us creative beings. That's how we're made. He says, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established. You're a creative force. Tell your neighbor, you are a creative power. Tell him you're a creative being. Hallelujah. But you must be able to see certain things before you're able to create certain things. Without the right vision, you can't create certain things. Hallelujah. So I admired this man, Moses. Because God says, I don't speak to Moses in dark speeches. What others take time to deduce to understanding? With Moses, I redeem time and show him plainly what he must see. What a relationship. How can you not admire such a man who beholds the very similitude? Mouth to mouth, he speaks with God. But not everybody and not every prophet, it doesn't matter how accurate they are, can say that because they hear God and they are accurate in whatever they're prophesying, therefore they speak face to face with God. And that's another thing to explain for another day. Because it's easy to pick some things in the spirit. I see this, I hear this. But that doesn't mean that you see the face of God. You speak to him mouth to mouth. That doesn't mean that you have a special place with God because there are things diviners can do. But the Bible says, but there's a place where the fowls know not how to go. There's a place you can't fake. There are things in God the devil can never fake. Job talks about in 28 verses 7. He says that there is a path which no fowl knoweth, which the vulture's eye has not seen. There's a place where no deceived spirit, or man or woman with a familiar spirit can go in the things of God. Only them which have been consecrated, dealt with by God, can enter. Hallelujah. And is reserved such things. Paul calls them the unsearchable. Their positional experiences. You must understand how to position yourself in God. And then I read of a man called Enoch. Genesis 5, 24. The Bible says, He walked with God and he was not for God took him. And that gripped me as well. That gripped me as well. And this I emphasize because we live in a time where many people are not attuned to the heart of God concerning the need to really walk in close relationship with God. Many people come to church for a job, for a car, for a house, for a husband, for a child because you're barren. You come to church because your friend invited you to church because it's cool, it's good lights and cameras. The pastor speaks the things that you like, but when you examine the things that are spoken, they're not inviting this person into a deeper relationship. They're simply feeding their lust. But we're entering a season, and I know some of you sense it, where whatever heaven is releasing is to the end 
that men might build a very solid relationship with the Lord. The Bible says in that day, no man shall say to his brother, know ye the Lord, for all shall know the Lord from the greatest to the least. All shall know the Lord. Everyone will know the Lord. Those are days where you won't need to say, oh, this is how it works. A man will be in their own closet praying and God will show them how it works. Hallelujah. Those days are not far. Praise the Lord Jesus. So Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God and he was no more. To understand this, you need to read the amplified version of that. Genesis 5.24. He says, and Enoch walked, listen, in habitual fellowship with God and he was not for God took him home. Some of you ask, how did he walk with God? This is exactly what, you know, the Amplified gives and that's so close to the original text Hebrew. It says, the Bible says, Enoch had a relationship with God that was a habitual experience. He had a habit of fellowshipping with the Lord. He was not a man who prayed because he needed a job. He was not a man who prayed because he was in trouble, they were going to fire him. He was not a man who prayed because his wife or children had challenges. He was not a man who prayed because he had or dreamt that there was an attack coming. He was a man who prayed because he had a special relationship with the Lord. So I took time one of those days to study. Every time I find a man who has a special relationship in scripture, I want to study things that many people are not able to see. So I took time to really study Enoch and I got his book. There was a book called the book of Enoch. It's an account, one of those ancient texts. And some of you know, I've probably spoken about it once in a while. So I'm studying Enoch as a man. What did this habitual fellowship with God look like? This man isolated himself and lived a disciplined life of prayer and fellowship with God to a point where at one particular point he used to appear before the children of Israel once a week. Then at one point he started to appear once every two weeks. And then at a particular point, he started to appear once every month. They could only see him once and then he disappears. It is God. Until a time they could only see him once a year. Eh. But there are two things spoken of about this man that really caught me. One, in that book he was called a scribe of righteousness. A scribe of righteousness. There's something so powerful about God highlighting a man as a conduit, as a mediator of sort between him and Israel. And he says, if I need to teach anything about righteousness, this is the man that can write it right spiritually. Remember, we're talking about a scribe here. We're not talking about pen and paper. We're not talking about ink. Paul says we're talking about the spirit. 
There are scriptures that only the Spirit can give. The scripts only the Holy Spirit can write through a man. And the story says that Enoch was a scribe of righteousness. If in all divine wisdom and knowledge, call it transcendent understanding of things. When you needed to understand what the righteousness of God was, there was a man on the earth who knew how to define it in the spirit with the language of the spirit. So every time he came, Israel gathered to hear him as though it was hearing God. No man, you read the time of Enoch, no man would stand to say, no, I disagree with you. Because the glory and presence that came with the things that man spoke. No carnality had any order or provision to misbehave in such a power and presence. Because the qualification that he carries, the legitimacy of the spirit, the approval that he has by God to speak was a place nobody could deny that it was only given by God. But he was also called a heavenly scribe. And if you read that story, you'll see his associations with celestial realms. He speaks of heavenly things in such a detailed way. He tells you the gets of the moon and the gets of the stars and the gets and the portals by which the sun comes and you know the elements and how space is and the guy would speak and you're like a man in the flesh literally walked with God to a place where he could see all of this. And the book, in the book there, he's called a heavenly scribe. Like he was a person who when he started speaking about heaven, he had every detail. And not just heaven, heaven where God is, the heavenlies, all the dimensions of celestial realms. He saw every reality there. Things the scientists are trying to discover now. These were things that Enoch by the Spirit visited. God would carry him and tell him, let me show you how the sun rises from where it comes from. These are the gates that must be opened for the sun to shine. These are the gates that must be opened spiritually for the moon to come up. These are the gates that must be opened spiritually, your portals for the stars to align and rise. And each star carries its own name and carries its own significance, the realm of the spirit. Now, how many of you don't know now but when Jesus was born, there was a star that represented him as it has for all kings. And if you carry the kingly grace, there's something up there representing your light. So in reality, Enoch had a judgment concerning men and their destinies in such a unique way because he saw the stars. And I remember... I'm not going to say this so far. I'm only going to give you as far as some of you are able to take. In my primary consecration should have been about 2013 or so. In the experiences that I had while God was preparing me for the ministry. I remember a place he took us. I shared that story, but I've, I've already shared bits. I've never really, you know, 
had the time to share it fully because I don't want people to build doctrines around experiences and lose really the mind and focus of God and his heart. But I remember being elevated above the earth and I saw men as stars. And I understand how men are aligned according to their stars. I could tell the ranks of the men of the earth. I could tell who was more anointed than who was less anointed, whose star was bright, whose star was dim, and many things would explain why. You know, there are things you could have in just one experience with God and they would take years to explain because the reality of those experiences, only your spirit has the ability to fully interpret. Your mind can never explain it fully. And so in part, even when we are preaching the gospel, we are simply taking you line by line, precept upon precept, a little here and a little there. Because it's a journey of unveiling something so big that you can't teach, not even in a lifetime. But that when you go to heaven, if Christ not yet returned, your expressions continue manifesting themselves in the instructions that men ought to receive through your messages when you leave the earth. And then some understand years later. There are things perhaps we're speaking now that our children will understand more than we did our great-grandchildren. And some of us, even though they came, many of you might never receive them as they are supposed to be understood. But oh, how I pray that we get it all. Are you following what I'm saying? So if God is showing Enoch where the stars come from, he's not just talking about physical stars. I believe also extending this man to the vision of understanding how the life of men is. The thing I believe that Solomon was looking for in Ecclesiastes when he set out his heart to go and seek wisdom on what is good, what the man of this world called good, what mortal man calls good, what was good for the sons of men. This, I believe Solomon was trying to really connect to. What is this thing that men live for under the earth all the days of their lives? What is the meaning of your life? Were you just born, got married, had children, and you're just going to go to heaven with a very, you know, good resume. You have a good CV. You studied in some of the most prestigious schools in the world. Is that all to you that you are just going to be a successful businessman that you're, you know, going to have these many connections and networks and die a very successful politician because you won the elections or you're a great musician or you're a great doctor or a successful entrepreneur. There has to be more to live for. What is that thing that can never be repeated? Are you following what I'm saying? In the dimension it should because God has identified beyond your fingerprint. Beyond your fingerprint. Or beyond your face. That thing that will make you different and make life worthwhile. That's the emptiness you find in the hearts of men who go and drink themselves out until tomorrow morning. It's an emptiness there, there. Trying to feel something that only God can feel. 
That is why some of you who used to go to bars and did all these kinds of things, when you joined this kind of ministry, you didn't struggle. You just woke up. And the thing wasn't calling you anymore. Because your spirit was awakened to a reality, a hunger, a thirst of a thing to find yourself. And you ask yourself, there was a time these cravings were so much and I didn't even know how. But I look at somebody drinking and nothing invites me. Because God has killed that part. You're drawing closer and closer of defining your purpose on the earth. And I pray for you that you never leave this earth without fulfilling the reason why you came. Why are you alive? Why weren't you aborted? Why didn't you die in the war? Why didn't that accident kill you? Why didn't COVID choke you? Why are you still walking the surface of this earth? There must be a purpose. There must be a purpose. Hallelujah. Are you learning something? So I think, yeah, God, you use these men. Moses I have heard. Enoch I have heard. All these kinds of things. And, you know, he... God literally takes this man to hell and shows him this is the angel that did this. This is the angel that did that. And this is why they did this. And this is why the earth is like this. Literally, he's taking time to explain things to a man. But the more he's explaining to this man, the more the man is even launching deeper into habitual fellowship. Until the Bible says, God said, you know what? You don't belong here, Enoch. This world is not worthy of you. The Bible says of whom the world was not worthy. The world looked like Enoch, you don't belong here. This is a very small thing. Come and I take you somewhere bigger. The Bible says God took him. God took him. Some of you fear to die because yours is death. Enoch never saw death. He couldn't see death. A man can literally walk with God until death has no place in him. Until death has no sting. So it's possible for a man to go to heaven without dying. Enoch. The Bible says he walked in habitual fellowship with God. So there are three things I felt in my spirit to live with you in understanding. Because these things that I'm going to show you are things if you understand and the Lord helps you press together, churn into butter, you'll understand the ways of God. Number one, the state of your heart. It's very important. The state of your heart. You meet a Christian and they are 12 years old in the gospel, 15 years old in the gospel, 16 years, 30 years in the gospel, and the simplest, simplest experiences that a man ought 
to testify of and live because they have met God, you find that this Christian has not even mastered the primal, those things that should be elementary. Simple things like walking in unforgiveness. How can you have the revelation of how much you have been loved by God and still refuse to forgive a brother or a sister? Doesn't matter what they did to you. There is nothing anybody has ever done to you that was not done to God by man. Even the worst sin you think, for he says, whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, that you do unto me. When Paul was persecuting the church, sold them, Jesus asked him, why do you persecute me? Because everything you do, man, you do God. There is nothing that they have done to you that has never been done to God. But it takes the place, the hardening. It takes a certain hardening of the heart to still know that I need to forgive this man, but I refuse to forgive him anyway. He has to pay. She has to pay. And I see that same Christian going to God saying, Father, use me. Separate me. Launch me deeper. Let me tell you something. And this many of you know and can confirm. We have many Christians who are really bad people here in the heart. Who are really wicked. And there's nothing they cannot do. Nothing. It's the state of their heart. But show me a man or woman who is like that. And I'll tell you a man who I don't care whatever law they try to engage in the spirit. They can never connect to God's best until they fix the place of their heart. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me thine heart. When you give me your heart, your eyes will observe my ways. Give me, yield it over until everything that beats in your heart is not yours. You cannot say that your heart is given to God when you still have a will and a choice in the things of God. When you were younger, you went wherever you wanted. You chose the liberties to express yourself. The Bible says, but when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands and another man shall guard thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Take you places where you don't want to go. I don't want to release this person. But my heart is for God. I've been so loved by God and forgiven that I find that I must extend it to this person. In this instance, because of the consecration that I have, the place where my heart has been yielded to God, in this situation, I must do good. 
If your heart is not given to God, you cannot serve God. You cannot serve God. Or if you do, you can only serve under some sort of manipulative order. Not as you ought. You can't submit to an anointing when you've not given your heart to God. You can't. Come at two and do this. Wake up at 3 a.m. and do this. And I tell you, I don't know any man or woman mightily used by God and have not been tested in these things. That is why even when we are laying hands on people, you have known me if you've walked with me these many years. There are very few people I've put on this altar and said I'm laying hands on you. Not because I don't honor anointings, but I know what it takes to prove a man. And the way people see is not the way God sees. Because even we don't choose men. It's not in our choice to do. It's not in our convenience to do. It's in the conveniences and the choice of God. Are you following what I'm saying? But there are people I wish I could help understand that I see your praying, but your heart is not with God. I see your fasting, but your heart is not with God. I see your giving, great, but your heart is not with God. I see you're serving in the rain, but your heart is not with God. Because it's possible to worship God with your lips, but your heart is far. It's unchanged. He says, out of your heart shall flow the issues of life. He says, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Issues of life. The Hebrew word there for issues is the boundaries of life. In other words, this thing you got will define the boundaries of your life, the boundaries of your influence in life. How far you'll influence in life according to the assignment or calling that God has placed on you. Every time you see ministries grow, it's always in the consecration of the man's heart. As a pastor, there are things God can never entrust you with until your heart is fully with him. God knows our hearts. He that searches the hearts knows the mind of God. He knows the mind of God. He knows what God thinks and so he searches the hearts. He searches all things. He knows your heart. Are you following what I'm saying? He searches the deep things of God. He searches you. And he says, hmm, no, not yet. She's not yet ready for this. He's not yet ready for this. This is too profound for him. This is too far. The Bible says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins to give to every man according to his ways. To give you according to your ways. When you understand this thing, you'll never sit down to speak evil about any man when you have understood that the only way up is a qualification against the state of your heart. You can compete and badmouth another man of God. You know, we have ministers in the world who think that you can only ascend in the things of the spiritual carry advantage by badmouthing another man, blackmailing and speaking evil about another. 
No man has ever qualified that far to elevation by God and you're not going to be the first because God does not elevate by putting another down. He elevates by consecrating your heart to know his will. And once you know his will, he says, now I can trust her with more. That's just how God works. That's just how God works. You find yourself in a conversation gossiping about a sister, a brother. And the Bible says, but you could have gone to this sister to talk to them. Why did you go to two, three, four, five people? When the Bible says, if a brother wrongs you, you go to them. This is God proving your heart. That is why when you want to know a man who has a heart after God, they are quick to repent. They are quick to repent. And they mean their repentance. They are quick to repent. And they are very careful to error. And that is why even in expressing themselves, even in the things heaven might have affirmed, because they understand they are in the flesh, they'll err on the side of caution and say, Father, I'm not sure I know it all. If I got it wrong, I repent. Because they are cautious, they might be wrong. And they know the cost of what that does on their lives. But somebody is confident in folly. Somebody is confident in hypocrisy. Somebody is confident in their own deception. But no law scripturally can actually affirm what they are trying to say. And I see them every day. I see them every day. Give me your heart, he says. And let your eyes observe my ways. The moment I know that I have you, you're yielded over to me and you, I'm sure your mind, I'll open my ways to you. He made known his ways to Moses and his actions to the children of Israel. Israel knew what God does. Moses knew how God does it. Let me say it again. Israel knew what God does. Moses knew how God does it. It's like in this place of demonstrating power. In my primary years of demonstrating power, I met very anointed people who connected to the anointings then of the men which were graced because there are people whose spirits know how to receive graces. And I met men which were very anointed. But they did not have the understanding of the circumcision of the heart. And in expressing themselves in the liberties, which we called liberties of the spirit to demonstrate because they knew that by reason of the gift on their lives, they have right and jurisdiction to do whatever they pleased. I found that they would demonstrate the power of God in the center of grieving the person of the Holy Spirit and never know because the giftings and callings of God are without repentance. And that was a time where people exalted gifts and the demonstration of power above teaching. And we used to define men of God only as far as they were able to demonstrate power. 
But if you study very well the doings of God, God has not taken away the vindication of the Spirit through signs, miracles, and wonders. But it's almost as though He has deliberately started to build a very clear chasm, a clear distinction between those who only understand the giftings and those who understand His heart. And I see that it's as though heaven every other day is pouring some special grace on the men and women who are investing themselves to know God deeply. There was a time somebody would say, "Ah, uh, if you want people to hear you, you have to act a certain way. They taught theatrics. And they were simply turning stones into bread. The very first temptation the devil had with Jesus Christ. Turn these stones into bread. Express yourself. Show off. I remember one day I'm in a meeting with a dear man of God and he stood up and nudged and said, let me show them. Let me show them. As though to say, I'm going to show off power. And he stood on the pulpit and started showing it off. And it was great. The Lord told me these things, these things, my son, never do. Never do. Never do. Never stand on the altar simply to show off that you can demonstrate power. When I did in my immaturity, he showed me the foolishness. He was gracious enough to show me how foolish it was because heaven just doesn't want to show off a miracle. It wants to help a sick woman. It wants to help a sick man. God wants to deliver a breaking family. God just doesn't want to show off. God is so content to show off. The heart of God bears no insecurities. There are no marks of insecurity as of to prove himself that he is God. Because he needs no approval. He is God. He doesn't struggle with insecurity. And I realized it was the insecurities that forced us to express ourselves that way. We started boiling over unstable as waters. Spoken of Reuben. We started seeking vindications, but not in the way of truth, but our own carnality to introduce and announce ourselves in places where God only could announce. But I learned that early. I learned that early. And I ask God for wisdom and grace never to find myself in such places. And when you do and understand this and God starts to announce you, he announces you so well. Because he gives you a language, a grace, a favor that only those who know him can connect to. This is the season. Many of you must examine yourselves because this is something I've spoken times without number. But I'm praying for you that this be the season that many of you examine your hearts with God. Because I know very many great ministers whose hearts are not with God. And it's evident with their fruit.
two, a humility of spirit. I'm not talking about the outward temperament. I'm talking about God humbling you. That place of humility is a place where God himself breaks you. It's not a place where you ascend to break yourself. It's not your participation. It's his dealing. And I realized that kind of humility comes through experiences with God. It doesn't come by saying, I'm going to be humble. That's acting. It comes as you continue to habitually relate with God and then he breaks you. He truly shows you real, real rank. Your place, your true state in the spirit. Because I know how many people in this world walk delusional of their true positioning in the spirit. And I think maybe the titles give us some positions that shouldn't carry me. You know, the, the few things, the few glories that surround applying ourselves to the laws of this world. That generic grace. That sun and rain he gives to the wicked and evil and the righteous as well. And when it comes and we are sent to some laws and principles in the spirit and start to have results, we start to look as kings among them who have no results and only, simply only because they have not yet learned to apply themselves to these laws either rebelliously, uh, they know but do not do, or some simply don't know, they just need to be taught and so they'll do. And when they do, they can easily ascend where we are. But there are places that are beyond the laws that favor the earth. There are things that are beyond what any man in the world can have. There are graces that will transcend the general blessings that every man will have. And these things are found in the experiences you'll have with God. And I've realized, now I know why the Catherine Kuhlmans kept praying, break me Lord. The Benny Hins, bend me Lord. The Smith Wigglesworths, kill me Lord. It's the same language they were trying to give. But they were saying, God has to break you to a certain place where when you come back on your feet, not only will you have a certain fear of him. The Bible says, <laughs> humility is the fear of God. Humility is the fear of God. You will not only have a certain reverence for him, but you'll have a certain reverence for man. The Bible says in Numbers 12.3, Now the man Moses was very meek, above all men which were upon the face of the earth. Now you see that the very man which is accounted of to be very meek is the very man who sees God differently. He's the very man to whom God reveals his ways. Somebody say, God humble me through your experiences. Say it again, say, God humble me through your experiences. Yes, you cannot say, I'm going to be humble. No, but you can ask for an experience that can actually break you. Because some of you are inflated by color, you're inflated by tribe, you're inflated by your degree, you're inflated by, you know, your status in society, you are inflated by maybe the gift of God on your life, you're inflated by many things. But when you get to a point where nothing can inflate you, you'll understand why the Bible says, if any of you desires to be greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. If any of you want to be chief, the Bible says, let him be least of all. 
this is not the equation in the church today. The equation in the church today is putting those we assume to be greatest in such a place that quite conflicts with the laws that God has set and his ways. If you want to be greatest, be servant. The son of God was among us serving. He was not the one served on the table. He was among us serving. So the more you ascend, the more you learn to serve. And service is not preaching on the altar only. Service are those things you're going to do when no man is watching. Because you have a vow with God. And I wish I had time to explain that, but every man and woman must understand the seriousness of their vow with God. When the experiences of the Spirit come, you start to have certain commitments with God. And the scriptures have taught us. They've taught us how to deal with the elderly. They've taught us how to deal with the anointed. They've taught us how to deal with the children. The scriptures are very clear. I can examine your humility by how you deal with a child. I can examine it by how you deal with a child. I can examine your humility by how you deal with the anointed. I can examine your humility by how you deal with the least. I can also examine your humility by how you deal with those older than you. doesn't matter how anointed you are. When you meet a hoary head, the Bible says, you shall bow before the hoary. You shall bow before the white head. You see? that He's not saying literally, you have to live prostrate, but I'm saying, when you meet somebody who is of a certain age, respect them for who they are. Today you find these <laughs> Christians, and some even are ministers, who become disrespectful of people because they are anointed. And they think they can talk to them any way they want. And I'm thinking, this is not humility. I'm talking about the humility that you have to have before God first. Because I'm not talking about the thing you learn to act before men. I'm talking about what begins with God first, to humble yourself enough for him to bless you. When you come on the earth and deal with the elderly, the younger, Leviticus 19.32, he says, even when you go before a hoary head and you meet a person with a hoary head, he says, you shall rise before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. He says, I am the Lord. You find a young man sitting on a chair and there's an old woman there standing that is anointed. And that's the fellow saying, this is the hour. I'm ascending to higher realms of glory. <laughs> and the Lord taught me how to serve such people. I serve them in a way you can never imagine. These are the things. It begins with how broken you are before God to be broken by him. It doesn't begin by how you act before men. Because if you act it out when it carries no brokenness by God, it's not real. James 4.10, he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of God and it shall lift you up. See? In the sight. It begins with that humility 
that breaks you, gives you some sort of experience. So you will say, as James 4, 6 above says, He giveth more grace, wherefore He resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Grace is available for the humble. Ask God to give you the experience that will break you. When I meet broken men or women, I easily can see the days ahead on their life. You can easily tell the destiny, even if you're a prophet and you meet a man who is broken, you can know how to speak into their destiny. It's, it's clear, it's an open world. Their, their windows are open. It's so easy to speak something and it is so. So easy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody said, God humble me. Lastly, but not least, the discipline of your altar. The discipline of your altar. It's one thing to have an altar, but it's another to have discipline in your altar because an altar is a place of covenant. I've taught about altars before, but I'm going to teach about them deeper this year. An altar is a place of covenant with God. And you must understand the discipline. You remember one of the prophets saying, for my young man, I know not how to go in or go out. He's talking about the presence. He's saying, I didn't understand the order, the discipline of the altar you've invited me to. First King 3.7, he says, And now, O Lord, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child who knoweth not how to go out or come in. Where? In your presence. I don't understand the order, the discipline of the altar. There are things that Solomon needed to understand. And in fact, now you understand later in retrospect why this very Solomon later on brings fallen gods, foreign gods, into the presence of the Almighty and he splits the kingdom and desecrates the place of worship. One of the things to guard your altar is the discipline. There are things people out there judge us for, but they don't know how or why we do the things we do but if they really sought the wisdom, they would understand some of the things are done because we need to not only carry the discipline of the altars God has entrusted us with, but to also design a template for others to learn. And this begins with my personal altar, that the public altar which before you stand, there are men of God who can't step here. No matter how anointed they are. Every man who steps on this altar, I am very careful. You know, I have found something that later came in the 1790s, 80s in the Pentecostal movement. When the gospel started to become an enterprise. And especially from the United States, it became a transactional thing. As of to want to bring everybody in the body of Christ, many of them desecrated and abused corrupted and diluted what was on the altars because they put men which were not worthy or even qualified. Gifted, yes, but not ranked enough to speak where some of these men were speaking. And some of them, it's because 
they were running enterprises that heaven had not designed to be run that way or even some didn't even seek the mind of God in running these enterprises they simply came with a zeal and built these altars so somebody has to do a lunch hour but God told him to all right but then they get overwhelmed and they need people to help fill those up because they're preaching every day they're running out they're burning out listen they no I need some people who is coming in some new guy from Congo let him come some new guy from Saudi Arabia let him come some new guy from Ghana let him come a new guy from Benin he's a good pastor he's a good yeah you've not even examined him you've not proved this ministry you put him on the altar you defile it you ask why isn't my ministry moving something was done to that altar it is like this personal space of yours not everybody should teach you like not everybody should stand on your altar as a pastor not every youtube preacher should teach you some of you don't even have that wisdom yet everything that agrees with you like some of our people because everybody was speaking the language they understood they thought that that was the establishment or defining of truth as God knew it and God far from that because it's not what the man says but it's where the man speaks from do you get it it's not what the man says but from where the man speaks from otherwise then when the devil comes as an angel of light you'll receive him because when you see light you think that all that is light is god tell your neighbor discipline your altar it begins with number 1 learning to rule your spirit self control proverbs 25:28 he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls that means you carry no protection and if you carry no protection you're susceptible to attacks on every side and then you're fighting wars they begin in your mind in the place of confusion they enter your heart you're agitated you're out of place you're out of step you're not fitting in you're not fitting out you're confused in every aspect of life but you're mixing he says you shall not plant your garden with diverse seed don't plant your garden with diverse seed some of you are so already mixed up you don't even understand yourself anymore you're simply asking god why isn't it working but you're already mixed up but you can't tell the difference he says when you do that the fruit of your seed which you've sown and the fruit of your vineyard will be defiled you'll have woe within ruling your spirit self control bible calls it the fruit of the spirit it's a very important aspect because you can't discipline your personal altar when you can't rule your spirit hallelujah hallelujah rule your spirit rule your spirit know what comes in what shouldn't come in discipline your life this time i have to be with god nothing interrupts that that's a rule spirit if you've given god your thursday give it to him dedicate it and say god every thursday i want to hear you 
but today you're praying tomorrow you're not and nothing really explains why you're not praying I know that day sorry you know that day that's the day my wife wanted to take me for a movie and I'm like but why should she take you on a Thursday like you have no rule over your spirit you know I should have been praying but the time I used to use for praying is the time now you know I got a job and the job took my time of prayer I remember Fanero grew to 2,000 members when I was banking 8am to 6pm every day because even in your busiest schedules you can discipline your spirit to fellowship it should never be an excuse that you're a busy person yes I was banking but my spirit was praying the whole day so these guys used to ask themselves why you just sit in the car in the evening go on a meeting and the power of God is flowing why because I have attuned my spirit I've disciplined it to pray even when no man can tell I'm praying my inner man groans way differently from what you'll see outside I could sit with you right now and I'm praying and I'm praying I learned the art of waking my spirit up my spirit is awake 24-7 my spirit doesn't sleep even in my night of sleep physical my spirit man is praying there are even times I've woken up speaking in tongues because your spirit is ruled otherwise then an enemy will find you asleep and so what? tears among the wheat you see what I'm saying? fervent in the spirit fervent in the spirit the Bible calls it fervent in the spirit fervent in the spirit serving the Lord Jesus you see? It's a qualification of service. Because if you're fervent in the spirit, you can do a miracle anytime. The lady who gave you a testimony. I was just walking around in my house. And she called me and said, heal. And that's it. No drama, no nothing. You don't need to add. It was seconds. But you see, the spirit was attuned. It's tuned. It's, it's tuned. And this is not for special men of God. It's for everybody at the sound of my voice. Somebody shout Amen. Otherwise, you're going to be like a city with broken walls. Rule your spirit. If you wake up at night to pray, discipline yourself to know every night I have to be up praying. If you say my prayer life is 10 a.m. or 8 a.m. in the morning, unless unavoidable circumstances, find yourself on the altar. That is why I tell people, if we say that we're beginning service at 5 p.m., whether you're three or four, the service must start. Because I committed to the Holy Spirit that 5 p.m. the altar will be open for heaven to minister to people. Some of you pastors are waiting for people to come. Then you start the service. No. If the service begins midday and there are three, start the service for the glory of God. The conference begins at 2 p.m. Even if there are five people, you know Fanero. 2 p.m. on the dot. The angelics are waiting. And then we grip the spirit because you are saying, are people there yet? No, wait to start. And then you delay a meeting, but you committed before heaven that we shall begin at midday. That means you don't have control. Your realm is not under control. It carries no order. Hallelujah.
Are you learning something? It's the same thing with your families. If you know you're supposed to be praying at a particular time, commit yourselves. Rule your spirit. You'll know the ways of God. The more you do it, the more the ways of God open to you. They'll open. You'll start to learn God in such a unique way. And he will do things simply to show you, I've done this because you honored this time. I've done this because you honored this principle. I've done this because you honored this. That is why there are people who have such unique results. I remember in my primary consecrations, it was six to eight hours almost every day. It was the instruction. Six to eight hours. That I locked myself up somewhere. Six to eight hours. Discipline. Almost every day. So they think I'm sleeping, but I'm awake. I'm praying. I remember one time, I spent the whole day praying and one of my siblings comes, it was about 3 p.m. and they said, oh, you've been in the house. They didn't know I was in the house. When you discipline yourself, there's something that starts to happen on your spirit, man. Touch somebody and tell them, discipline your spirit. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1. Give me the Amplified. This is the last one I'll read. He says, keep your foot. Keep your foot. Give your mind to what you are doing when you go to sacred Bethel, to the house of God. Keep your mind on what you're doing when you go to the presence of God. Keep your mind. So those little small things. How are you in the presence of God and you're WhatsApping? How are you in the presence of God and you're on Facebook telling somebody I'm hungry? By the way, I'm in church. Prepare some chapati for me. You don't yet understand God. That's an indisciplined altar. Keep your mind on what brought you in the church. You're seated in the church and somebody's telling you, by the way, <laughs> Agatha has a new car. There's a preacher preaching? No, no. Let's discuss that. Whatever you want to tell me, tell me after. I'm done with my God. When I am with my God, I don't need to know which Agatha bought because Agatha's car didn't die for me. Richard's promotion has no advantage over my life. Dixon's prophecy and its fulfillment has no bearing with my testimony. When I'm in the presence of God, I want to keep my mind, keep your foot. He says. Have you been in churches where people are murmuring and you have to stop them? The problem is with minister. Because you have not disciplined your altar. You can't be in Fanera and people are just no, 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 no. Many of the people seated next to you, either your neighbor is talking, but the person on the left is not. Because this altar has been disciplined that way. That's how we understand life. Because if I can't quiet a public altar, how can I tell you that I can quiet a private altar? A person who can talk in the presence of God does not have a quiet spirit. Look for my sermon called quieting your spirit. Listen to it. Because some of you are not tamed to that discipline. Be still and know. The knowledge of my person comes when you learn to be still. Be still. And then you will know me. You will know my ways. Give me the attention I need. 
When you're in the presence, tell somebody in humility, brother, we're in the presence. We'll discuss this later. We're in the presence. But you're in the church. In the middle of the sermon, you look beautiful. <laughs> Under the lights. If he says it to you, just turn to him and tell him, God have mercy on you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Keep your foot. When you go into the house of God, for to draw near to hear, to draw near to hear, this is the ascendance of your spirit, to connect to what God is saying, to hear, and obey is better than to give the sacrifice of fools carelessly, irreverently, too ignorant to know that they are doing evil. Verse 2, he says, be not rash with your mouth. When you get into the things of God, even when you enter the presence of God, don't be too quick to speak. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. That means when you're in the deepest presence of God mark how much or what you speak because God draws you to minister to you he has more to give you than what you want to give him that's what Mary discovered and Martha missed Martha was talking where the master was talking discipline your altar. If it's time for prayer, pray. You're in church, you're praying, but you're the baby. Amen. Come on. No, no. No. Oh. Find a way to leave that child home. Do something. But are you following child of God? Understand that you are in the presence of the creator of heaven and earth. Who can do anything. Anything. Have a disciplined altar. Know when to pray. How to pray. Be the kind of person who everybody knows that when it comes to his time or her time of fellowship, there is no compromise. There is no games. Play anything, but don't play from the place where I hear God. There I'm serious because I don't joke in the presence. When I'm with him, this one, I don't joke. Hallelujah. Take God serious. Take God serious. Don't forget the three things. Discipline your altar. Walk in the humility of the Spirit. And give God your heart. As we seek your faith. 
May we know your heart. Speak in other tongues. Feel your presence. Acceptance. As we seek your place. Move a Come reveal your heart. Show your presence. Acceptance over my you feel we fall sovereign God we cry holy come and pray in other tongues at your feet Heavenly Father, we have received your word today. And I pray for every man and woman at the sound of my voice, including myself. Help us. Help us. Launch us deeper. Let us understand your ways that will reveal you to the world that is lost and hurting. I thank you because you help us to discipline our spirits. You help us to walk in the humility of spirit. And if there are any of us which have parts in us that are not yet surrendered, Lord. We surrender to you. We give our hearts wholly to you. For you say, meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them and your profiting will appear to all. The word that has been spoken has planted seeds in every hearer that will echo through eternity. In Jesus' name, give him a mighty and clap of praise. Come on. Thank God. I feel that elevation of anointing and then I feel there's some individuals receiving a fresh grace for ministry. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Receive it. Power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is going to use you. Now, if you're on these grounds, and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ and you say, Apostle, as you are preaching, I felt the calling in my life to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be born again. I want to have a relationship with God. Simply repeat those after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior, I'm born again. 
This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at fenero.org. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.